in part two of a conversation about, well, I've, I've titled the message series The Butterfly Effect, which comes from sort of a secular concept, the idea that one small action in one place could have a huge consequence later somewhere else. And the theory was, as part of chaos theory, theory is that a butterfly flapping its wings in Indonesia can cause a tornado you know, six weeks later somewhere else. I'm, I'm not sure about that uh, personally, but I'm not up here as a scientist. Um, uh, God willing, up here as a pastor. But I do want to tell you that the Bible tells us there are small things that have huge consequences, positive and negative. And the Bible uses the language of seeds, for instance. Sow a small seed, it's the smallest of seeds, grows up to become the biggest of trees. That message about the mustard seed, right? And similarly, small actions taken in the wrong direction gets you in the wrong place. Amen. So I, I wanted to uh, do part two of that conversation. And then if you're keen on the evening service, please remember it's at 5 p.m. now. Seems to work better. Uh, rugby is at three. I think Mark's so enthusiastic about it. He would like the rugby played on the screens from three anyway. So if you want to come, you're welcome. If you don't have electricity or whatever might be happening in your world, you can come from, from then. And um, I'm doing a series there titled How to Build a Healthy Life from Scripture, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So the verse I'm going to read to you is one of those, so the conversation is small things, big consequences. Uh, please don't practice this verse immediately as you read it. Just wait for the end of the, can you just wait for the end of the message before you practice this verse? Greet one another. With a holy kiss. All the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The Anglicans among us should have known that verse straight away, the second part, and should have ended with and also with you, I feel. Yes, you, you know it. Yes, the Anglicans are amening. Thank you. Uh, well, you know, one wonders, uh, how do you actually apply that without getting weird people in your life uh, wanting to put this verse, the first verse they want to put into practice ever is to kiss one another with a holy kiss. And one wonders why a verse like that even features in Scripture right there with such serious statements as the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's a big statement. And wrapped in that big statement, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the fellowship of the Spirit, wrapped in there is this weird verse, kiss one another with a holy kiss. And I thought maybe I should start our message by saying that the church should do more kissing. But I knew that if I did that, it wouldn't end well. So that is not the point of today's message. But there is something I want to talk to you about concerning our relationship with one another and engagement with one another and the world and how that changes when what we do is motivated by the Holy Spirit. So this scripture is an outcome, a predictable outcome of what happens when you are spirit-filled. I grew up in a world in which being spirit-filled meant that you did something at church remarkable, whether you prophesied or sang or preached or prayed for people or spoke in tongues or prophesied. You did something very remarkable at church. And that was 
proof that you were a spiritual person and that you were full of the Holy Spirit. But one of the most important things about the work of the Holy Spirit is that He takes you out of your human character and He reinvents you into your Christ-like character and He gets you into a world, a space and a life that you would never have guessed you could do based on your personality, your background or your history. Can you say amen to that? And it manifests itself. The, one of the most beautiful things about church, and I, I'm going to say about this church, is that God has broken down the barriers of separation between race and class and education and background and church experience. And He's turned of us all one body of Christ, one Lord Jesus Christ, one baptism we all share, one faith we all profess, one scripture we all believe in. That is the work of the Spirit. And it is almost impossible to expect that in any other way. Politics can't achieve it. Politics, uh, money can't achieve it. You can't put people on an equal footing in any other way and then say, um, love one another. The only way you can love one another is if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me and in you and Spirit calls out to Spirit and without knowing how any other way we're the family of God, we're brothers and sisters, we're one family and nothing else joins us except this invisible eternal thread, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, expressed through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I think perhaps one of the most important things, so, so by the way, just greet one another with the Holy Kiss is more like a European thing. It's like a, if you're French, you can add another. But then after that, I think it must, it must sort of more or less be in the air, hey? It must be, you know, it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to practice for it is what I'm saying. You shouldn't have to, you know. But the idea was get into one another's lives a little. You only greeted one another with that kind of kiss if you were family. You didn't really, or friends. You didn't really go to strangers. You shouldn't. You go to jail. You shouldn't do. You, uh, but this idea that we, we're not, I'll, I'll, I'll word it this way, then I'm going to get into scripture. I, a few years ago, um, many years ago actually, we were in Stanley Street, the building before this one. And um, I made a terrible mistake. I, I, I didn't know I was making the mistake, but I got up and I said, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. And somebody waited for me afterwards. They had said nothing to me about anything before, neither positive nor negative. And they said, you can't say ladies and gentlemen to your family. You say that to a place where people buy tickets to a concert or something. You say that in a boardroom. You say that in a school. But when you're in family, we're not ladies and gentlemen. We're brothers and sisters at best. We're the people of God biblically. We are family in practice, but what we are not is just ladies and gentlemen. They were right. They were right. That's right. I'm not sure if they're here this morning, if they are. I'm still learning from that statement. You don't need to add any, any other. So, um, so with that in mind, I'd like to take you to John chapter 7 from the NIV. It says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, 
as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So, really important passage of Scripture. Now, I've often wondered, when Jesus says, um, it's better for me that I go to the Father, then you will receive the Spirit. I keep thinking, is it really better? Wouldn't it have been better to still have Jesus here in person? Like, that seems better to me. Like, I could take my doubting friends and drag them to Jesus and say, look, look at Jesus. This is Jesus. Walk a bit on the water there. Show them. That seems like that would be an easier, you know, bring your friend with the demon. I'm going to show you today. All we need is a friend like that and a couple of pigs and we can repeat a verse in the Bible right here, right now. And yet Jesus said, no, you see, the problem then is that um, I will be the, he, Jesus, will be the example we cannot reach. But if I am glorified and you receive the Spirit, then the works that I have done you also will do, and greater works than these shall you do, because that which was out there is now in here, and from in here, out to the whole world. And I, I'm worried that in the church world, Jesus is still a third party. That he is a, a persona and a power outside of ourselves that we are trying to reach. And yet Jesus have, has gone through such great effort to down a cross, to be resurrected, to be seated at the right hand of the Father, to send himself through the Spirit so that he can go from being out there to in here, to, so that he can go from being someone to seek and to find to being someone who dwells bodily in me by his Spirit. You are Spirit-filled. You are spirit-filled. And there's something incredibly uh, powerful about that idea. And so I wanted to title this message, Living with Liquidity. Now, if you're in the business world, liquidity means how quickly can you get to cash? So some of you are like, not liquid, drought <laughs> at the moment. Uh, you know, uh, the idea in finance is that you have assets and some assets are not liquid. In other words, they're buildings or whatever, and you'd have to sell them to make them cash. That takes a long time. So you can't access resource quickly. And I wanted to talk to you about how incredibly liquid our spiritual journey is. The access to the resource of heaven, to the authority of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to sell something or buy something. You don't have to earn something or give something because the Spirit of God is a well of living water welling up from inside of us, a river of living water accessible to us all. Can you say amen to that? Now, the challenge, I guess, is how to live out that kind of spiritual life. And what I, why I wanted to start with, greet one another with a holy kiss as a function of the Holy Spirit is that I, I think one of the small things we can do with big impact is to love one another the way Christ loved us. To love one another the way Christ loved us. I heard this in example that I thought was really powerful. Instead of throwing in the towel when you're frustrated, take the towel and wash somebody's feet and wipe them with it and serve somebody rather than surrender to your circumstance and watch, God how, watch how God turns your world around 
and puts you in the victory that you've been believing for and trusting for. Can you say amen to that? So, is that a clappable moment? Thank you, thank you. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 has uh, this really powerful verse in it. Uh, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs. What a huge passage of Scripture. What it talks about is loving God and our lives rather than loving other things above that. This passage of Scripture reminds us that it's okay to be content. You know, this challenged me hugely. I'm one of those people who's not quite, it's okay, but I'm not quite happy with anything yet. I like my house, but it's just a section. There's a wall. There's a window I want to put in. I'm happy, but not quite. There's something else in my life. I'm happy, you know, I'm, I'm getting there with the training and the dieting, and I'm, but I'm not quite happy. And there is an evil in the world that suggests that you not only aren't content, you should never be content, because if you are content, then suddenly you'll stop having motivation and you'll never win and reach the way other people are winning and reaching. Well, let me tell you uh, two things. Those who suggest that they have everything they need without Jesus are lying. And secondly, godliness with contentment is the true prize. Not just godliness without contentment and not just contentment without godliness. The true prize is that I'm right in my relationship with God and I'm at peace with where things are at right now. I'm still moved forward, but I'm not going to do it out of frustration. I'm going to do it in faith. I'm frustrated by some things, but that's not the motivation of my movement. The motivation of my movement is faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ can do. Now, we live in a nation where we, I mean, there's lots of things not to be content about or happy about. But what we can say, Lord, these things in your hand, me in your hand, the future in your hands. Now I'm moved and motivated to build from a place of contentment. I'm worried that you're not, um, you're not, the world's going to teach you not to be happy until you're dead. Like I'm, I'm worried about that. I'm worried that there's always something more to do. And that doesn't mean you can't be joyful in the doing. Be joyful in the doing. One of the things about the work of the Holy Spirit is that we love even in the imperfect. Don't wait for perfection to love. Don't wait for a perfect country to love it or a perfect church to love it or a perfect partner to love them or marry them. Don't wait for a perfect moment with your kids. Love in the imperfection because Jesus is the one who makes all things abound even in the impossible circumstances. We love as he first loved us. We love in the imperfection because we are the recipients of the love of God when we are imperfect also. 
<laughs> recently, there's been lots of talk about mega churches and how terrible they are, you know? Um, and technically, we qualify as one. So if you have 2,000 people in attendance in a day, between the services, you qualify as a mega church. Yay! And these guys are like, someone sent me an email. Hey, what do you think? Mega churches are evil. Mega churches are evil. So I just want to pause for a moment and say, okay, so what's your other plan? So, so the average church in the world is 200 people. If the 2,000 people makes up a, a mega church, okay, so we need 10 pastors with 10 buildings, 10 bands. 10 youth pastors, just to do what we're doing so far. So the only way attacking big churches works is if you selfishly believe that once your need is taken care of, somebody else's doesn't need to be. And that's wrong. We've got to feed the 5,000 and teach the 12. Not one or the other. Both. Do both. Because God of heaven is able to call the 12 and he's able to feed the 5,000 because God is that big. God is that big. And I want to reintroduce a passion for letting the Holy Spirit do big things so that there is this tension between I'm happy and I'm believing for more at the same time. And I think there's something powerful and beautiful about that. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to the message, uh, if you don't mind. Ephesians chapter 1, I mean the translation, the message, uh, says this. Jesus set us free, and not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on his plans. He took, us, he, he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in Him. Everything in deepest heaven and everything on planet Earth. um, The temptation is to think, I need something. This is what the scripture addresses. The idea that I need something I don't have. And the author Paul here in Ephesians is reminding us, you need nothing if you have him because in him is everything you will ever need. So stop separating the himness from the needness because the needness is met inside of the himness and he is in us. As I was trying to say. Stop looking for something out there to make you happy and fulfilled and content in Christ is everything you will need and He is in you and the equation is complete and so you are not perfect but you are complete. That's very important. That was a clap from the back row. I, just want, I want online to know that. I want online to know. It's, um, it's like my uh, kitchen cupboards. I have in them a complete meal. It just isn't made yet. I mean, do you see what I mean? I mean, if you said to me right now, where is that food? I would tell you that, uh, uh, that you must have faith in those things that are not as though they were. But when I say that, I'm not being funny. I'm saying in the cupboard behind me is everything I need for that meal. I need a formula or recipe 
I need a bit of action on my part. I need a vision for what I want to achieve. And I've got it in the cupboard. And I can't say, Lord, I lack. Because I don't lack. I must just put it together as it was intended. This verse is reminding you that you, you, you have everything you need for a godly marriage. Now you might look at your life and say it isn't there yet, but if you were to believe in those things that are not as though they were, you would go into the storehouse of heaven and you would find in it the ingredient. You would go into the scriptures and you would find in it the recipe and you would lack no single ingredient to put it together to achieve the thing that's in your heart because everything is summed up in Christ and Christ dwells in I think there is a dangerous precedent in the world at the moment, and that's the idea that we all have lack or deficiency or insufficiency. I addressed it a little while ago. I got into big trouble for it, so I thought I'd lean in again. I mean, I do like a little bit of trouble. That sort of keeps me up at night. I was just asleep for too long. Um, Here's what I mean. This idea that everything's on the edge of like not enough and it's going to run out and it's nearly finished and everything's nearly finished. Um... Do you know, I think the one who made it all can make it again. I don't think everything is nearly finished. I don't think the best houses have already been built. I don't think the best properties have already been sold. I don't think the best wives have already been married. I don't think, I'm just just saying that. I don't think the best kids have been produced. I don't think, I think that is a lie of the devil to keep the masses expecting less so that the few can take it for themselves. And if they can lower your expectation, they'll come take it from you and keep it for themselves. But perhaps it's time to say, rise my soul, I have all sufficiency so that I am fully supplied in every way on every occasion because of Christ Jesus. Scripture is a testimony to that. The children of Israel get to the Red Sea. There is a deficiency. There is no bridge. But the one inside said, just lift up a stick and I'll make what we don't have to get you where you need to be because you can't get there any other way. He is still a creator of things impossible to becoming things possible again. We've got to get that in. You can't, you can't say it's over. You know, my marriage is over or my financial future is over. Just be careful of that. Even when things are over in the eyes of this world, they are not over in the eyes of the Lord. There is still a next in the eyes of the Lord. You can say this season, this moment, this fight, this thing, it's over. But what's next is greater than what's past because God is able to make all things about. You know, um, Samson reminds me of that. Samson. I mean, talk about making a mess of a perfect opportunity. The Bible says he was tall, he was good looking, he had muscles. I mean, is that tall, dark, and handsome, but in the Bible? <laughs> but he had, a, he had a problem. He had long hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, funny. that's just a joke. That's a joke. Don't email me. 
email me, it's fine. You'll be a story in next week's sermon. But he had a problem. He had a, his problem was he didn't, to have, he didn't have boundaries. You have to have boundaries. The first time a woman cuts your hair off while you're sleeping, that's the last date you have. That's the... You bring a knife to... That's... You don't need a prophecy. You don't need a prophecy. You're lucky to wake up the next morning. Blessed, highly favoured, blessed. That should be... Babe, it's not working between us. But why? You took a knife to my head. Anyway, uh, he um, keeps failing at the same thing because most of our sins are habits and they usually don't surprise us. But the power of Samson is, is the end of his story. Samson prays to the Lord and says, Lord, um, I've messed it up. I've lost my sight. I've lost my future. But I don't want to end like this. One more time. Will you give me my strength? And no matter how many times Samson messed it up, God always says yes to the one more time request. And sovereignly and supernaturally, God gave him back the gift that he had to begin with, his strength. And one more time, his story ends that a broken man can be built again. And that it's over can be, it's made new again. And when they all said, look what we took from that man, the story that is told, look what God gave back to that man. Right. 2 Timothy 2 says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs because, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Don't let your heart get entangled so that you're not free to love well, live well, believe well, honor well, trust well. Don't let your heart get hardened. And there's a danger that if we do that and we don't let the Holy Spirit work in us, we, get, we manifest in certain ways. One of them is that we become apathetic. Just don't know what to do. I just don't know what I'm supposed to do next. That's a function of a hardening heart. I don't know what to do. Your heart's going entangled. 1 Corinthians 7 says, I do not, um, I, I, so I beg your pardon, I do want to point out, friends, that time is of the essence. There is no time to waste. So don't complicate your lives unnecessarily. Keep it simple. So many things wasting our time, getting our hearts in a mess. Secondly, when you let things harden, you become insecure. A hard heart is an insecure person. I joke about greeting one another with a holy kiss, but actually, I think it's awesome to have people in your life who you shake hands with, but also people in your life you can hug hello. I think it breaks walls down and takes away hard hearts. I think if our whole world were ladies and gentlemen, we would feel like we had no family. And make sure you have some family in your heart. Mark 6, 7 through 9, Jesus called the 12 to him and sent them out in pairs. He gave them authority and power to deal with evil opposition. He sent them off with these instructions. Don't, you, don't think you need a lot of extra equipment for this life. You are the equipment. 
No special appeals for funds. Just keep it simple. Reiterating this idea that I lack, but actually I don't lack. I have him on the inside. And finally, when my heart is hardening and the work of this Holy Spirit is hindered or quenched, I become vulnerable. I'm easily offended. I take things personally because the Holy Spirit isn't there to wash it away. And I need to give him the freedom to do that. Proverbs 15 says, a simple life in the fear of God is better than a rich life with a ton of headaches. Keep that heart tender by the role and work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. I wanted to conclude with this idea on having the Spirit and how He supplies us sufficiently. The Holy Spirit makes us sufficient. Do you remember that really awesome passage of Scripture probably quoted sometime in your life? 2 Corinthians 12. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I boast all the more gladly that I am weak so that Christ's power may rest in me. It's okay that we need the Holy Spirit. It's even better. And I want to encourage you today that this one small thing never to neglect, the infilling and overflowing and life of the Holy Spirit in you. Not in the church. It is there. Not in your parents. There also. Not in your small group or grow group or whatever. Not external somewhere, but internal in you. When, when the Bible suggests greet one another, he's implying something. The implication is you don't have issues. Have you noticed that when you have issues in your heart, greeting is difficult? And I've seen you. We bump into each other there at the shop. You think I know you haven't been to church in a while. <laughs> so for the first time in your life, you're reading the ingredient list of something. You've never read it your whole life. But what you don't want is to have to say hello. You don't want to greet Pastor George. You just see, just see, oh, look. It's got MSG in here. Okay, interesting. Is he gone? I don't know. Is he gone? I don't know. Let's go to that other section. Or when somebody's hurt you and they pull up next to you in the traffic, you're like, you don't have a radio, but you're turning it on. <laughs> oh, very busy. Greeting is not free. Or where you want to be spiritual, but the situation is still difficult. So you greet with words you don't normally use. You're normally a hazard hazard person, but you missed your words in the awkwardness of the moment, and you're like, good day to you. <laughs> well, so heart's not, a, not in a good place, you know, and something's not in a good place. You use weird words, and you, you express it. You're sweating when you shouldn't be sweating, and you're saying stuff, you know, you're hiding. And you know what Paul said? the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit. Greet one another without barrier, without hindrance, without awkwardness. I conclude with this. What if somebody does something like that with the wrong agenda? 
What if somebody has the wrong agenda and they're being awkward and they're possessive or clingy or, you know, trying to get somebody's phone number and George gave them permission now to go greet one another with a holy kiss. Let me tell you what will happen. The Holy Spirit will start working in you. It isn't going to go well because the agenda will fall surrendered to Jesus Christ as the head of the church. The Lord rules and reigns. Can you say amen to that? I don't doubt it. He will rule and reign even where unrighteousness tries to stick its... He'll prune it and he'll heal us all. One of the greatest things a church can do and a person can do, a family can do, is to make space for the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. To welcome him in and let him work through us out. Can you say amen to that? Would you please stand with me as we pray? Thank you for all of, to all of you who are sending endless flag emojis online. I uh, appreciate that. Um, we're going to take a moment just to pray, just two minutes. There's a team coming to the front available to pray for you about anything, something that you heard this morning or anything on your mind that you feel a prayer, a handshake, a hug, a celebrate, you're welcome to do that. Communion available on either side uh, every Sunday and a prayer, private anonymous prayer request card also available. But I want to take a moment as a church and invite the Holy Spirit to rule among us. Can we do that? Can we say, invite the Holy Spirit to say, living water, will you, will you um, well up from within us? So let's take a moment to pray. Lord, thank you so much for the power of your Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that we are not people operating in our own effort, not operating in the flesh, not operating in insecurity, not operating in deficiency. We are fully supplied, adequately supplied by the one who dwells in us. Lord, will you please fill us with your spirit? Will you cause for us to be known as a people who are spirit-filled, who have no barriers, have liquidity of resource. We have available to us all of heaven's resource because Christ is head of our hearts. Will you soften hard hearts today, Lord? Will you please take away the stuff that easily entangles us and snares us? We get caught up in complexity when actually it's simplicity. Will you keep our heart and our faith simply pure? And Holy Spirit, will you fill us by your Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. would you give God one more great shout of praise? and? Um,